Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont. Our guest on today's show is a biologist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. For the last five years, he has been involved in a program detailing fish movement in Lake Winnipeg. The project involves a network of underwater acoustic receivers in the Lake Winnipeg Basin, allowing researchers to track movement, behavior, and interactions of tagged fish. So far, Doug and his researchers have nine fish on that list. For anglers in this province, the one species with the most interest would be the walleye. Doug Watkinson tells us some fascinating information on today's show. Doug, welcome to the Complete Angler Podcast. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Don. Happy to be here. Uh, last time we met was uh, at a book launch, and it was out uh, at a camp just south of Winnipeg, or no, west of Winnipeg. And you and Ken Stewart uh, were there to launch Freshwater Fishes of Manitoba. Tell us how that all came about. Well, I, I think in the end for me, Don, I was probably just in, always in the right place at the right time, fortunately, for my career. And, uh, you know, I was an uh, undergrad student and then a grad student when, when, uh, when Ken Stewart was sort of near retirement and uh, looking for somebody to help with some of the more graphic side of the book in terms of the mapping. And uh, I certainly, uh, again, just sort of being in the right place at the right time, happened to be doing so computer stuff for the zoology department. So Ken asked me to, to help him with uh, the book. And then I ended up getting a, a great opportunity and then ultimately a sort of a dream job with DFO, uh, Fisheries and Oceans Canada, and a uh, real opportunity to sample fish across both Manitoba as well as Western Canada. And through that, you know, opportunities to take a bunch more pictures of fish and uh, help contribute to the book from not just the mapping standpoint, but also my own understanding of, of uh, fish and fish ecology, as well as uh, taking a bunch of images that we we're able to use for the species accounts. A little bit about Ken before we move on. Uh, I sat with him on the board of Fish Futures, which you do now. Uh, he was a scientific advisor. He was a professor at the University of Manitoba. Obviously, uh, he was one of the professors you went to when you went to school there. Yeah, no, uh, Ken taught me a couple of courses. Uh, I think originally chordates and then uh, taxonomy course, uh, a course on on fish. Um, yeah, great, great prof. Um, I I, I kind of miss having Ken around, uh, as you know from from uh, being able to spend some time with him. He always had uh, pretty interesting stories about either his youth or different stuff he used to do professionally uh, growing up. Just a great storyteller and just so knowledgeable about. Uh, uh, fish both within Manitoba but even uh, throughout North America. I can remember one discussion with Ken which really opened my eyes because he was just an encyclopedia of knowledge about fish species especially in Manitoba how he electroshocked up the east side of Lake Winnipeg and was amazed at the crop black crappie populations that were in the tributaries of Lake Winnipeg. It was a it was fascinating information and and uh, he was uh, he was uh, he was a great man. We yeah, we sure miss him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
you know, guys like that, uh, I'm not sure we'll see the old time sort of fish squeezing scientists anytime soon. So uh, it uh, it's too bad. Yeah, he was one of those guys that really believed the boots on the ground, and uh, he went out there and, and proved things. Speaking of Lake Winnipeg, you guys, um, uh, Freshwater Fish Institute and, and a bunch of other partners are doing a whole bunch of important work on Lake Winnipeg, Doug. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, so we've been kind of fortunate since uh, 2016. We started a, a partnership with a number of uh, universities. Uh, as well as the province of Manitoba. So that includes in the end, uh, University of Manitoba, uh, uh, University of, uh, was it Lincoln, Nebraska, as well as uh, Lakehead University and, and profs at each one of those institutes. Um, you know, as well as obviously uh, a lot of staff at DFO, Dr. Ev Anders is uh, our, our lead scientist who, who helps run that, that program and sort of help coordinate all the staff that we end up working with as well as these uh, direct partnership agreements back to the uh, uh, universities and, and their grad students associated with the profs themselves. So, um, you know, big, big project in terms of uh, scope. Uh, and I can touch on that in a sec, but it really, uh, it begins with sort of the number of people that we end up working with and uh, able to help facilitate the uh, uh, pretty immense schedule in terms of uh, the fieldwork component. And, um, you know, really that comes down to, if, if I'll just touch on the project for a minute, if that's all right then, Don. Yeah. Um, so we have coverage in Lake Winnipeg with what we call uh, uh, receivers and, and it's a, an acoustic tagging project. So the, the tags that we ultimately put in fish uh, and multiple species, um, I think we're up, I can give you some exact numbers here at, off the top of my head. I think we're over uh, 800 and, 84 fish now we've tagged in the system. Um, that includes big mouth buffalo, channel catfish, uh, common carp, lake sturgeon, freshwater drum, burbot, uh, and coarse walleye, uh, which happens to be our, our largest uh, component of those, those tagged fish. And just more recently, we even tagged some lake whitefish uh, this past fall in the Red River and uh, uh, Winnipeg River. But uh, but what really does all the, the work for the system is, is the receivers once those fish are tagged. So the, the, the fish end up receiving a tag internally, uh, uh, and then they're sutured back up and released back into the system at, at the site where they were actually captured. Um, but we have re these receivers then that sit there passively and the tags um, on a random sort of time step every, every couple minutes on average, you're gonna uh, basically transmit a, a pulse signal through the water uh, and that the receivers can can hear. And we have 218 of these receivers in the system. Uh, we have a few up by Grand Rapids, the north. I'll just sort of work south to, to explain how the setup works. Um, and then we start into what we, we have a very systematic deployment of the receivers further south, closer into Reindeer, Barron's Island. So if you drew a line off the top of, of uh, Reindeer Island across to Barron's, uh, and then south from there every 14 kilometers on on a grid we actually have one of these um, receivers or listening stations that sit there for an entire year until we get back to them the next year to download um, so moving south from there uh, through the narrows it's basically matheson island we have a few extra receivers to act at those at those choke points and then we again have a systematic grid that's on a 7k spacing that extends 
right south to the uh, the mouth of the Red River, uh, as well as even a higher density receivers in that sort of bottom part of the south basin of, of Lake Manitoba, where we have another 5K uh, grid within the 7K grid. Um, but then we also got good coverage up the river. So we up the, up the Assiniboine all the way to the Portage Diversion Dam, uh, as well as the Red River, both within Canada and in the United States, all the way up to Fargo. Um, and we keep adding some receivers up that way because we even have partners uh, now with the Minnesota uh, DNR. They're going to be releasing some lake sturgeon this coming year. And uh, yeah, it really it facilitates um, not just an understanding then locally of, of where a fish is in relationship to where you release, but we, can, we got pretty good coverage in the rivers. The major tributaries, that is, of, of uh, Lake Winnipeg, but is really the Red and Cinnaboyne, and uh, a good portion of, of Lake Winnipeg. Yeah, it's a huge undertaking. And in, since 2016, what it, what kind of the information have do you think has been the, the most important thing that you've learned from all this? Um, I, I think uh, more generally if we just look at all those species that, that we've tagged is that uh, fish do have different ecologies in terms of how they select uh, for what they need for their life history, right? So it'd, it'd be a habitat, like is a certain species gonna be more restricted to the lake or is it gonna maybe be uh, more selective of riverine habitat or uh, I would describe another group of fish maybe as more generalist. So they'll use both the lake and the rivers. Uh, some fish are going to be homebodies and others you're going to find, wow, they're just, they go everywhere, but maybe it's restricted to one of those habitat types. And then other species might be, uh, again, more generalist and use both, both the rivers and the lakes and move a ton. Um, so if I, if I was to sort of, I could quickly summarize, if you want, uh, by, by species a little bit. Sure, what we see. Um, so when we look at, uh, Let's say I'll start with big mouth buffalo. Uh, so they're, they're a species that we uh, had an interest in because they are, are Sarah listed as special concern. So that doesn't carry with it any particular protections, but we are concerned somewhat about the populations of those, those fish uh, in the province. So uh, big mouth buffalo, we did most of the tagging right in the city of Winnipeg uh, initially, and then some more tagging downstream of Lockport and as well as in the United States portion of the Red River. And, uh, when we look at big mouth buffalo, we find that there's a fish species that really does ha happen to select for river type habitat. Uh, very few fish have entered Lake Winnipeg, even though they have open access to it. Um, the other kind of really neat thing about the buffalo is, uh, at least until recently, uh, until we got some other species tagged, which I'll get to later, is they were the fish that moved the most uh, in, the, in the context that we had fish we could have tagged in the city of Winnipeg that were going up to Fargo. You know, so hundreds of kilometers. That's in fact, uh, and river kilometer wise, I think that was around uh, five or 600 kilometer one way trip. And then coming back, even in, in some cases, uh, pretty, pretty quick migrations. Uh, you know, they're big, strong, powerful fish. And maybe not too surprisingly, uh, can move pretty quick through the system like the Red River. Um, Channel catfish, everybody, uh, of course, is really familiar with the fishery downstream of Lockport. Uh, Again, most of the tagging was done either in the city of Winnipeg, uh, downstream of Lockport was probably actually where, I should say where the majority of the tagging occurred, but also even in the United States portion of the watershed, again, in conjunction with uh, Dr. Mark Pegg. Um, he really was 
handling all the tagging in the case for, for this species and, and all the receiver downloads in the US, which has been a, a bit of a, <laughs> to say the least, logistically fantastic given COVID and our, uh, our restrictions on travel. But uh, back, back to channel catfish, it, uh, you know, it, in the end, the channel catfish themselves too, uh, sort of mirrored the buffalo in that they really do like the Red River, most, most fish. Uh, some do enter Lake Winnipeg, a certain portion of the population, uh, but, but not all of them. Uh, so they're going to go out to Lake Winnipeg a little bit more than something like the Buffalo. But again, big migrations within the Red River, uh, moving into either from the U.S. into Canada or Canada into the U.S. Uh, and, and, you know, moving between the systems. And, and uh, Dr. Pegg also has a number of... Uh, like, well, literally thousands, I think over 15,000 fish fly tagged where he's also received uh, information about movements of channel cat. And that even shows a bit better uh, based on angler returns. Some of these movements, these shared fisheries like uh, uh, that we have with the United States. So that, that one's kind of a, a neat one that way. Uh, common carp, um, you know, and you're in the Red River, let's say, uh, fishing, you always maybe see common carp. I'm sure uh, you, you, you would speak to that time when you're out. Uh, angling and, and you think, oh yeah, the common carp are in the Red River. Uh, so we tagged our fish during the spawning run um, into the Delta Netley Marsh. And, and it turned out really that none of the fish that we've tagged have ever really lived or resided in the Red River. They, they undertake a very, um, uh, pretty, pretty much to the, to the fish. Every one of them comes back to the wetland in the spring, uh, starts maybe in April or May. But where they're coming from is this Lake Winnipeg, or, or more specifically, generally over in Traverse Bay, where majority of fish will actually go for overwintering. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they, they do this sort of, they're in the marsh really just during the spawning period. And, and in the end, again, I would have I would have swore they were going to hang around the Red or, or occupy the Red River. But in the end, for the majority of the summer, uh, they ended up back in Lake Winnipeg, probably for feeding, obviously, and... Uh, and then all, and moving towards Traverse Bay area, uh, not into the Winnipeg River proper, because we have receivers there if they were doing that, but, but just in that sort of more shallow, maybe a bit more protected area, uh, probably has, we're guessing, some sort of substrate that they're, uh, they, they would prefer to feed on and again for overwintering. So that's an, a and very repetitive pattern of movement again. And that one was kind of interesting just to maybe inform managers when fish move into a system and, and maybe where they could target them if they were looking at removing them ultimately from Lake Winnipeg through some sort of a, a commercial fishery. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lake Sturgeon, um, we ended up taking the majority of the fish in the Winnipeg River. We'd had hopes of getting them in the Red River and we did manage to take uh, a couple. Um, there's probably more lake sturgeon in the Red River than people know. Uh, even just a couple of weeks ago, I was out electrofishing and we, we, we managed to, to get a fairly large fish up to the surface, didn't get it into the boat. But um, the, the ones in the Red River anyways, and we have uh, uh, just those couple fish that haven't left the river. Um, so they, they, they reside in, in the river, don't really enter the lake. But the, the really interesting thing too is, you know, the name implies lake sturgeon, you would think, oh, they're going to be out in a boat in Lake Winnipeg. Uh, has really not proven to be the case where again uh, these fish were tagged in the Winnipeg River closer to the, the Pine Falls generating station but but in the end the fish were really occupying the Winnipeg River most of the year uh, certainly for uh, uh, during the spawning period sort of June end of May 
and into July. They will move out into the Lake Traverse Bay again, though, uh, a little bit around Elk Island. We've had a couple fish um, maybe move around the South Basin, um, but they immediately almost came back to that same area. Uh, we did have one fish that went for a bit of a walkabout uh, towards the North Basin, but in, in the end, he ended up selecting habitat that was very uh, flowing water in around Black Island. So again, even though the name might say Lake Sturgeon, um, what Sturgeon are really looking for is some sort of association with, with current and flowing water. Uh, at least maybe it's a very low water velocity, but um, they really do like riverine uh, type habitat. Uh, for, the, for their sort of needs. So I, I have a couple, well, I've got four more species to cover, Don. Do you have any questions? I'm kind of going on here a little bit about these four up to this point. No, it's uh, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, um, I, I've actually, uh, I've fished uh, for Lake Sturgeon uh, before they kind of became in, uh, really endangered. And um, I guess you still are technically allowed to uh, sort of fish for them. It's, it's a gray area, but... Uh, I, I know the populations have really come back and, and that's great news. And uh, I remember fishing for white sturgeon on the Columbia river before they closed it. Mm -hmm. I was doing a television show and it was amazing. The, the kind of water that these white sturgeon would spawn in, it's the fastest water that you could ever imagine uh, where they would lay their eggs and, and the, and, and you guys uh, fisheries and oceans was putting um, mats down so they could capture sturgeon eggs just to see what kind of, a, a spawning success they were having so uh really really interesting they're a fascinating fish and um, um I'm, I'm really glad that they're making a big comeback yeah i think in a lot of populations in the province for i mean i'm, I'm sort of anecdotally have to get my information from the, the managers at the provincial level but uh it, it sounds like their their testing programs are showing in, in many cases pretty good recovery especially in the southern portion of the Winnipeg river system you know i just just thinking back don i remember uh, as a kid, uh, your complete angler show. I, I think you had a, a show where you did some work uh, below uh, uh, Sturgeon Falls on the Winnipeg River. Uh, was that, it Jim, Jim Bayad? I think. Was, yeah, that you, was that was one of my first programs ever, Doug. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that as a kid, and I thought that was so cool. Um, I certainly that that maybe showed me the early <laughs> direction I needed to go for a career. Uh, <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad it did. Yeah, I used to watch your show pretty pretty religiously uh, on the weekends, and uh, I, I think that was probably the most memorable one for me, uh, just watching you guys do that work um, mm -hmm. and, and, do, and, you know, being able to participate and see those fish uh, back then. So um, so some of the other fish that we, we do have uh, tagged and we've had out for a while now, too, and this is, I sort of alluded to earlier, one of the more interesting ones, um, so we've had fish that sort of use the lake uh, and wetlands like carp. We have the buffalo and catfish are more riverine as well as the sturgeon. Uh, now we get into freshwater drum. Now here's this, here's an interesting fish. It sort of it holds a, an important uh, uh, sort of uh, specific, um, what would you call it, record, if you will, for North America. It, it has the largest north to south distribution of any freshwater fish in North America. So it's all the way up. Uh, uh, to the end of the Nelson River, and I, th I believe Guatemala in the south is a southern extent of distribution. So very, very large uh, north to south latitudinal uh, extent of distribution, uh, 
and maybe not surprisingly, once we take some freshwater drum, looked at how they moved in the system, these in, ended up being our fish that actually moved the most of, of any of the fish we've tagged so far. And, and that's in part because they'll both move huge distances in the lake, but also huge distances in the Red River. So fish that we've tagged uh, downstream of the locks have moved up through the locks and then into the United States portion uh, of the Red River, as well as uh, all the way up to Grand Rapids in the northern part of our system, where we're able to at least uh, uh, detect these transmissions uh, and, and capture these movements. So they've proven to be sort of the most unique fish in that regard, and that they're, they're just willing to go everywhere, explore everything. Um, really, really interesting, I, I thought, uh, because that one kind of caught me off guard. But again, maybe when you reflect on it and looking at, again, how they're distributed, it makes complete sense. Uh, uh, the, just to interrupt, I mean, I think uh, freshwater drum are one of the most fascinating sport fish in the world. I mean, I've fallen in love uh, trying to catch them. I, I, they're so much fun. You, you know, Lake Manitoba, the White Mud River gets quite a, a, a substantial run in the springtime of the drum. And uh, and then I, I would probably suggest, I know that you haven't done the tagging, uh, tracking studies on them in Lake Manitoba yet, but I would suggest they probably leave the white mud and, and go north because I know there's been some great sport fishing in the north part of uh, Lake Manitoba. Once you go past the Lake Manitoba Narrows, the water clarity gets better. And, and I read one article by this, this angler from Portage who went out there and, and it was sight fishing for huge freshwater drum. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating fish. So none of this kind of surprises me. Yeah, yeah, I know they are certainly fun to catch. Um, I know we were doing some catfish tagging uh, just this last summer, even uh, as well. And uh, I think we probably caught more drum than we did catfish, but uh, they still give a good fight, even on the on the big catfish rods. That's for sure. I just want to mention one fishery that maybe a lot of people are not aware of that has incredible freshwater drum fishing is uh, Easton and uh, the Water Hen and the, and the West Water Hen rivers are just absolutely loaded with huge uh freshwater drum yeah you know i i think you've uh, i've never had an opportunity to fish lake manitoba for drum myself i used to walleye fish there a little bit as a kid but uh yeah i, I know i've whenever you see pictures of big drum there's a good chance it's out of that system somewhere um so burbot is something we, we've uh, taken more recently in the winter uh, again we take some in the winnipeg river as well as uh lake winnipeg up by gull Cal Harbor. Um, so far, I haven't had much of a chance to look at their movement, but it looks like they're 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 moving fairly good distances in around the South Basin and through the Narrows, um, pretty much holding in the lake habitat most of the time. Uh, it'll be really interesting, I think, once we get now look at a little bit more data, uh, since a lot of them were just taken in 2020. We'll have that extra year to see what their sort of complete year of data looks like uh, on a species like. Uh, uh, burbot. So, um, the, the, so the other fish, of course, that probably most people are, are interested in from an angling perspective is, is the walleye. So maybe I'm, the best for last. <laughs> uh, well, I got, yeah, yeah, it is now because my, all my Lake Whitefish are out there now too, but we have absolutely no data on them. I think the only interesting thing I'd like to sort of point out to people is that maybe, uh, they don't know is that the Red River actually has a run of Lake, of Lake Whitefish. Uh, in the fall spawning run. Uh, we sort of figured that out a few years ago and talking to other managers or uh, with the province, nobody seemed to really know that. 
at the time. So maybe it's a fairly recent phenomenon, maybe not. I don't know that they're really getting angled since they don't, uh, you don't see anybody catching them, but they are there in pretty good numbers now uh, in, in, the, in the Red River, not like the Winnipeg River, but uh, there is a fair number of fish there. So anyways, we'll see, it could be really interesting because obviously these fish are gonna head, I think all the way back to the North Basin at some point. We'll look at that timing uh, as we as we move forward with the project. But yeah, so the, so the walleye, the majority of that taking, um, probably I think almost half of it happened in, in the lower Red River and around Sugar Island in the spring. Um, and, and this is one that actually I was shocked personally is I've done a lot of fishing over the years with uh, electric fishing boats. Never have I seen walleye numbers uh, like you see in the Red River in the spring. Uh, when you're when we were doing that sampling, um, consistently there was just fish after fish after fish, and obviously everybody knows too that the size of fish that you can get out of the Red River is phenomenal. Um, so lots of big fish. Um, in fact, we had a hard time catching small fish in some cases when we started looking at the female side. Uh, the males tend to be really small, um, and and most of them are sort of under a couple pounds, uh, around 1.2 kilograms, but. Uh, but lots of really nice uh, large females we ended up tagging. Um, as well as there, we tagged up at Riverton, uh, also uh, uh, in around Grand Rapids, or not Grand Rapids, sorry, Matheson Island. I should say we tried to, to tag at Grand Rapids, but couldn't get fish quite big enough for our, our tag uh, requirements. Uh, we needed to have a certain uh, body mass to, to implant these fairly large tags in. So the, the larger fish at this at that point back in 17 and 18 were certainly more so in the southern part of the system. Um, so the interesting thing is uh, this huge run comes into the Red River. I mean, people are fishing that right now or were uh, that, that fall migration in, but those fish are, are pre-spawn runs, I, I presume. Uh, for the most part, they're coming in in the fall. And in fact, most of the fish we ended up taking, we find, don't, don't enter the Red River until the spring. Um, now we did tag fish in the spring, but I, I guess there's, even though there seems like there's a lot of fish there in the fall, I, I think there's even more that push up into the system in the spring. Um, these fish don't migrate up past Lockport. Uh, they tend to return fairly quickly to, to the lake. And then uh, really quite, quite fast movements out of the Red River North, uh, most often on the west side of the system, uh, sort of past your Riverton Gimli area. And then up through the narrows uh, into the channel is pretty common. Probably, certainly over half the fish would enter or go past Black Island, um, and, and nearly half of the of fish, maybe forty percent, would would in fact go past uh, the, the narrows up, up by Matheson Island area, and into the southern portion at least of the south of the North Basin, as far as we know. Again, we only, I mean, we do extend fairly far up with our receivers to. Uh, uh, reindeer and Barrens Island, but we don't have coverage throughout the whole of the North Basin. So we do not entirely have a, a really good understanding how quite how far they might be going from a south to north. Uh, we did take fish, I should say, too, in the Dauphin River. Those tend to be a little bit more homebody and didn't, didn't move around a lot other than just in the North Basin, Sturgeon Bay. Um, the fish, though, that we tagged uh, at Matheson did move around quite a bit, both north to south, uh, as well as the fish out of Riverton. So walleye, again, big movements. Uh, they really are just using the rivers in this case for spawning. And, and then the rest of the year are, are occupying uh, uh, Lake Winnipeg. Will those fish that uh, push up in the fall time, will they stay in the river over, uh, over the winter? 
Yeah, well, again, I, I don't have a lot of information because I don't think very many of our uh, tagged fish come in in the fall. Oh, wow. I have to revisit that. So considering that we've tagged over, uh, I think, 130 fish in the spring, I, I think uh, we're talking like less than 5%, if that would be a fall migrant um, into the system. So maybe that gives you a better perspective. You can only get, guess how many fish must be in there. Uh, coming in in that spring migration. So the Red River in the end, I think is probably uh, for at least a river uh, spawning is the most important place in Lake, the Lake Winnipeg system for uh, walleye spawning for, for a river run population that is. Obviously there's, there's lots of fish that are gonna spawn in the lake uh, as well or other tributaries, but the Red River, um, has this really enormous spawn uh, run. And, and I, I could kind of, if, you know, using some basic sort of e ecology of the system and understanding what might be driving that, I think, you know, you have a, a system that flows south to north. Uh, it's a fairly dark water river. So because of that, you got this really nice warm water that's uh, entering a very cold lake. Uh, the, the ice will go off the Red River at least a month in advance of, of, of Lake Winnipeg itself. So you have this much warmer water. It allows fish to spawn a lot earlier in the year, uh, which is then attracting uh, those fish into that portion of the system. Uh, I mean, the Red River's got tons of, of pretty rocky, uh, hard substrate, uh, obviously can have pretty pretty good flow depending on the year, um, which then, you know, gives those fish, I think, a little bit of a, uh, an earlier jump in terms of uh, their ability to, to, to spawn and then the, those younger fish to feed and, uh, and maybe perhaps have success well that makes total sense uh, i mean that's brilliant i i never actually ever thought of it that way uh, doug and so that i mean that just makes total sense now i have fished a red river for 40 years in the fall run sometimes in the springtime when you have a obviously a late spring um and then you will get the odd year where you get walleye still are, are going to be in the spawning mode but um yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And and the amount of rock in the Red River, the, the amount of good habitat for spawning is incredible. I mean, it, everywhere you go, like if you talk about not so much Dock Reeds, but the Miracle Mile, uh, Sugar Island, I mean, it's there's there's so much great rubble, so many great areas for those walleyes to spawn in the Red. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think uh, they likely they're having pretty good success since uh, we have such a large migration into the system. One thing uh, that I think I'd like to ask you about migration pattern changes in the future with, uh, with, uh, with zebra mussels and the water quality getting considerably better. I know up at Hecla, you can probably see six or seven feet. Uh, Gimli, you can probably see five feet. Do you think that'll change the pattern of uh, movement for walleye? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it would change the overall large pattern. It might change how they associate with inshore, offshore areas a little bit. I think, I mean, there's been some work done on what walleye prefer, if you will, for, for feeding. And it's kind of around a two meter um, visibility. Yeah. So just around six feet. That's sort of seen as their optimal feeding habitat, if you will, where they can see far enough to attack a prey item, I guess, but also feel a little bit like they have some some protection or cover. Tell um, me, uh, stop right there. Like, that is incredible what you just said there, because back in the old day, uh, we always, you know, we had the Red River, and then we, we always wanted to explore Lake Winnipeg and see if we could catch fish. So 
when the season opened, uh, we would, friends of mine, when we launch our boat, whether it be Nassau or Gimli or uh, not, we, did, we didn't bother going to Hecla so much, but uh, Riverton. And we tried to catch those walleyes in this, you know, after the spawn. But if the water was dirty on, on the lake from wind action, you could not catch a fish. You could not catch a walleye in the lake. And that has all changed now with, with, with zebra mussels because now with that feeding window, as you mentioned, of six feet and, and it's there, there's very few days where the walleyes will not be actively feeding yeah. for what I've seen the last three years. Yeah, and, and it could have reason. I think this past year's uh, Red River fish was really, really good. And uh, we spent I spent some time working on the Red River. And I mean, the visibility was uh, certainly a few feet, if not more, uh, on most days on the Red River this fall. But that, but uh, that Doug, that run has changed its timing. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's climate change as well as water clarity issues, but it used to be, oh yeah, the, the, you know, the greenbacks are in the, the first week, second week in September, usually it used to be a great, you know, and then, then October would actually slow down. This year, it wasn't until the third week in October where we got a big run of, of walleye in the river. Yeah, also uh, obviously a very odd year with very low water uh, coming down the system too. Uh, yeah, yeah well, current, they... current flow does have a huge impact on whether those fish are going to come in there for sure. And, you know, there was, there was no flow. So the catfishing was great, but the walleyes, there wasn't anything that they wanted in there, to be honest with you, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think, uh, so yeah, if we see some changes in terms of how walleye are moving in the system, I, I mean, it's still, fish are gonna do what fish do as it relates, I guess, to the feeding opportunities in the system. And, and like anything in this world probably has a certain inertia, they'll keep doing what they, they thought they needed to do uh, until maybe the prey availability changes. Like we're seeing a bit of a, uh, a comeback again on rainbow smell, uh, not huge numbers in the North Basin, but we are uh, through the trawling program around off the Nemeo, we can see that rainbow smelt numbers are coming back up. Uh, we have these other changes, as you mentioned with, uh, the zebra mussel, how the water quality is, you know, system as a whole is changing. I mean, even the, the Red River this year was uh, pretty eye-opening with the really, really low water to see rocks near shore. You could see the ring of zebra mussels on everything uh, yeah, in, the, in the near shore area on the Red River. And the same holds true in, in the Lake Winnipeg. You know, most of the, the bottom isn't necessarily great uh, zebra mussels because it's very silty and clay as you get further offshore, offshore, maybe in that six, seven meter plus water. But uh, uh, I know from putting equipment out there, like our receivers, if you put something hard out in Lake Winnipeg, it is literally covered with zebra mussels, top to bottom. Uh, so the villagers, the, the part of their uh, life history that's able to colonize uh, new locations will find those hard substrates uh, and colonize them and become super super abundant really quick and there's just so many in the system now as as we move forward well doug i could have you on the program talking about this all day um it's fascinating to me i think one of the things that has really driven me as um becoming a full-time professional angler and educator is my interest in the biology side and fish movement and, and understanding you know where they are at what time of the year and and you know just trying to get a feel for just uh, just the environment and, and all that kind of stuff. So I can talk to 
biologists at length. So, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I we've, we're, we should actually let you go, but I want to, first of all, ask you, it's a great book that you and Ken uh, co-authored. Where, where can people get it? Um, I think uh, in Winnipeg, uh, certainly McNally Robinson still has it on the shelf. Um, I think a lot of the other book retailers, including even Amazon, if you're looking to, to get it online, um, uh, you can just do a bit of a web search and, and likely pull it up. I think uh, so availability that way, whatever is easier for you. I know it's still in print. Um, we sell at least a few few hundred copies every year still. That's great. I have my autographed copy from you and Ken down my basement that I, I have read many times. It's a, it's a great book and it's extremely well done. And I look forward to maybe you uh, doing another one. Is there any more in the works? Uh, you know what? Maybe I'll have to take the Ken Stewart model and uh, as I near retirement, look at be <laughs> working. You know, Ken, Ken had a lifetime to, to gain a lot of insight and expertise. Uh, I've got 20 years in now, and maybe I'm getting there a little bit, a fraction of anyways, of the knowledge that Ken did have. And, uh, you know, can maybe contribute a little bit to, to, to an actual rewrite of some sections that, that's meaningful now as we, as we learn more. Uh, I'm kind of lucky. Just right now, I'm working on uh, uh, an atlas. So Scott and Crossman is a uh, freshwater fishes of Canada. Um, and, and that's been out since 1973, I think, was the first year it was published. Um, and really, it's a, similar to the, the freshwater fishes of Manitoba species accounts and maps of, of, of Canada, though, and all of the fish species. So a lot has changed since 1973. And we're just, well, I've been working on for a very long time. And uh, with Dr. Mc, Nick Mandrak is, is heading it. He's from the University of Toronto. Uh, I think this, the word is maybe in the next year we'll have this atlas out that'll show new species distribution maps uh, for all fishes in Canada. And I think then there's supposed to be a, another uh, smaller publication sort of adding to these uh, new species accounts, if you will, that have, have occurred since 1973 again. So that's sort of my, uh, my immediate next book <laughs> uh, participation and really really happy to be involved with that one. There's some, some great experts right across Canada participating, uh, not just myself on, on that publication. Well, that's great. When you get it finished and it is uh, published, let me know and I'll make sure that we advertise it for all our, our listeners and all our readers of Hook Magazine. And I, I, must, uh, I must add, Doug, that uh, a lot of the information that you talked about uh, regarding the catfish uh, movement uh, and, and the work that uh, University of Nebraska did, we, we have on our website, we have many of the um, uh, conservation articles on the website that you can that you can look up and and research, but none of the um, up to date information that you just su supplied. So I would really like to thank you for coming on the show. You did a fantastic job. No, it uh, yeah, it is fun to talk about Don. So I appreciate you uh, wanting to hear all my fish stories. <laughs> okay, Doug, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.